I tested very positively in a in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. So does that mean he's now positive in a negative sense? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, and KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN. Palinville, New York, WLPP. New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com. And obviously, Brad and Desi had no idea that Donald Trump would test positive for COVID when they decided to take a day off. But to hijack a phrase, it is what it is. With so much going on, we have an action-packed show for you today. A little later in the hour, I'll speak with Jason Leopold of BuzzFeed News about his latest blockbuster that should be front-page news everywhere. And in a few minutes, we'll check in with David Dayan of The American Prospect about the breaking COVID news. But first, let me bring you up to speed on what's happened so far. Well, talk about an October surprise. Both Donald and Melania Trump have tested positive for COVID-19. Early Thursday evening, the news broke that Hope Hicks, one of Trump's top aides, tested positive. She spent most of the week traveling with the president on Air Force One and Marine One. And then the other shoe dropped around 1 a.m. Eastern when Trump tweeted tonight At FLOTUS and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We'll go through this together. Of course, Trump has downplayed the severity of the pandemic, often proclaiming that the virus would vanish like magic. For months, he refused to appear in public wearing a mask and has mocked Joe Biden for always wearing one. Obviously, this set off a flurry of testing. So Mike Pence and his wife... Joe and Jill Biden and Kamala Harris and her husband all tested negative. But Senator Mike Lee, who wasn't wearing a mask when he joined Trump and other Republicans in the Rose Garden on Saturday for Trump's announcement nominating Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, well, he tested positive. So did Father John Jenkins, the president of Notre Dame, who also attended that Saturday event at the White House. It was noted that he also did not wear a mask, but he did shake hands with a lot of the other attendees. And that obviously includes Amy Coney Barrett, 
who stood right next to Trump in the Rose Garden and has been visiting with Republican senators on Capitol Hill, mostly without her required mask. She also tested negative, but she should probably self-quarantine for 14 days, don't you think? On the line with us now is David Dayan. He's the executive editor of The American Prospect and author of a number of wonderful books. But today we're talking um, in his role as a journalist. And Dave, thank you so much for jumping in at the last minute. We got hit with a bombshell last night after learning that Hope Hicks tested positive for the COVID. We then learned at about one o'clock in the morning Eastern time that both Donald Trump and his wife are also positive. This obviously kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Or does it? Yeah, I mean, it's the value of living on the West Coast when it was only <laughs> 10 o'clock at night when I found this out. Right. So uh, I had some time to react to it. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly changes a lot. There are implications for just sort of the government. This is one of the largest contact tracing projects that you'll ever have to deal with. The president sees hundreds uh, of people, was at rallies with thousands of people uh, in the period that uh, sort of needs to be checked out. So just on a health standpoint, it's a a massive undertaking. And then, of course, we have an election in a month. Uh He's he's off the trail for a couple weeks. uh, At least. uh, You would you would think, yes, there are now indications that he has symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, so it certainly could be longer than that. He's 74 years old. Yep. He's in a higher risk category. The implications of someone becoming either incapacitated or dead, I mean, God forbid, but it could happen, yeah, uh, you know, a month before the election, there's just, there's no way to change the ballots. People have already voted. It would be utter chaos. It has not happened in our history, in the modern era, of how we do these uh, elections. It would be just just an, a completely unprecedented, chaotic situation. Well, everything uh, on about top of all the other right. uh, unprecedented, other unprecedented, <laughs> chaotic situations. Exactly, because right. I was about to say everything about this administration, everything about his reign of terror, has been sort of unprecedented. And then the news, as we're learning more details about this, it's kind of astounding that the the timeline. Because we're learning that, uh, on one hand, Kaylee McEnany knew that Hope Hicks was not only positive, but was symptomatic before she went into the White House briefing room yesterday and had arguments with just about every reporter in there. Not only that, but they knew that Hope Hicks had tested positive and was symptomatic before Donald Trump went to this fundraiser last night with over 100 people there that he was mingling with and obviously spreading the disease. Yeah, uh, nobody has has invited this infection more than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything that he's done, said, acted uh, has has led up to this moment. Uh, and led up to him being a kind of super spreader. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he he has not taken this seriously. Uh, he has not looked out for the the health of himself or anyone around him, uh, or, and and that extends to the entire country. He has you know stumped for reopening prematurely. He uh, you know uh, called on the liberation of states. He called for for schools to be reopened. 
he is not prepared in any meaningful way for the severity and the contagiousness of this virus. And, you know, I'm not going to uh, yell at anybody who wants to laugh about this because he was not but a couple days ago laughing at anyone who took precautions. That's right. Including Joe Biden. That's right. By wearing masks or practicing social distancing. Uh, So it's just a manifestation of his complete irresponsibility as president. I mean, it's almost not even ironic. It's just this is what's going to happen. <laughs> right. Who could have you, thought? If you do right. this thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's uh, on so many levels. I mean, we saw it coming. It was just a matter of time because of his behavior. And you're right. Uh, you know, uh, one one um, phrase I've seen a lot over <laughs> the last few hours uh, on social media and elsewhere is karma's a bitch. Um, You know, David Day and I was just uh, last night over dinner, I was reading uh, your piece titled The Winter of Our Discontent in the current (laughs) issue in the September, October issue of the American Prospect magazine that I've got the hard copy here in my hand because I'm a subscriber. And um, and it's it's such a great piece that I wanted to I was going to reach out to you and say, let's discuss this. The, the subtitle is Projecting the 78 Harrowing Days After the Election. And it's, yeah. what, what's that period I mean, called? The interregnum or something? Um, yeah, interregnum or the transition period. But clearly <laughs> I wasn't creative enough. <laughs> I didn't, wow. There was all sorts of things like a Supreme Court justice dying or uh, the, the, the president of the United States getting coronavirus. There are all a, a whole litany of things that I could have uh, <laughs> delved into in that piece. Uh, I'm ashamed of myself for not thinking of them. Who look? That's the that's the problem with a, a print magazine that you have a long <laughs> right. deadline, right? And so, who right. would have thought that every day is like a month in a news site in a normal <laughs> news cycle? Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. I, yeah. So here we are. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen. And that piece, I still, I still encourage everybody to read it because under normal circumstances, as much as you can call this administration, quote, normal, um, it was going to be crazy. And now there's two more things thrown into the mix. So you mentioned the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And gee, someone else who's probably going to have to quarantine for at least two weeks now is the woman Donald Trump is nominating to fill Ruth's seat, Amy Coney right. Barrett, because there she was with him well, in the Rose Garden, right? I mean, unprotected. She's saying just, that they test every day and she says she's negative oh and, and, and that she's, she's, you know, it's, I, I, I saw legislative aides say full steam ahead <gasps> on the Comey, Coney Barrett nomination. <laughs> uh, we, of course, know that Ronna Romney McDaniel has contracted uh, coronavirus. Yep, that who's just the broke. Chairwoman of the RNC, uh, and she was with Barrett and, and everybody on Saturday. Uh, she apparently got her diagnosis back on Monday. Well, we have no idea how far this goes in the upper echelons of government. Uh, the people that we're talking about uh, all commingle, congregate, interact with one another on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, we, we're just not going to know. And, and, you know, I, I said something on Twitter this, this morning. In the 1890s, Grover Cleveland was, uh, had cancer of the jaw 
and he secretly went out on a boat with a surgeon and had a good portion of his jaw removed without telling anybody, without telling the press where he was. And when he came back and somebody leaked the information, he and the government ruined that journalist's life <gasps> and completely discredited it. So, and Grover Cleveland's brand was, I always tell the truth. <laughs> so, so uh, that is not Donald Trump's brand, right? So if we think that we're going to get the full story right away now, we're, we're not. Uh, they're, 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 there's already indications they were trying to cover up the Hope Hicks Mm-hmm. diagnosis. Uh, we just aren't going to know uh, a, a lot about what's going on. They're going to severely restrict the information. And uh, uh, this, this is, you know, for anyone who's working in, in high levels of government in Washington, this is a dangerous time. It is. It's a dangerous time for anybody not. Look, you know, I'm sitting here in South Florida and I barely leave my house because I'm high risk. And I'm living in a state where we have a governor whose name has morphed from DeSantis to death sentence um, because he re- he opened up the state where the, the numbers of cases are growing, uh, took away yeah. all restrictions. It's it's insane. We don't know what's happening. That's that's the big point right now. We're all kind of flying blind. We can't even imagine that we're going to get any kind of semblance of truth from this administration. Just look as far back as yesterday, and they were lying to us. They lie every day. So, I mean, how do we move forward? I I can't imagine there are going to be any more debates. Do you think the vice presidential debate's going to go on next week? Uh, both Mike Pence and now Kamala Harris are saying they've tested negative. Yeah, they've both tested negative, so it's possible it goes forward. Uh, you know, it would be just the true comeuppance of uh, the, the, the government and politics and democracy to have a Zoom debate. <laughs> it would just be like, let them do that. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, this, this really just throws so much into upheaval. I mean, I, I, I do think that because this is such an indicator of what is going on, what has been going on for the last six months with this virus, that politically this, this seems like it has to hurt Trump. Uh, I mean, you it, would it, think. It's, it's, it shows his irresponsibility. It shows his lack of attention to the virus, uh, how, how he's, he's refused to take it seriously. And now, now it's affected even him. Uh, yep. uh, so, you know, uh, it, it just seems like that's the way this is going to go. And, and the Republican Party has sort of a choice to make. And, and clearly their choice is grab everything that's not laid down uh, before we, we get kicked out of the, uh, of the, the majority. Uh, and that's, that's what's going on with the Coney Barrett nomination. Wow. There's so much up in the air. I mean, and this whole this last four years has been chaotic and full of turmoil. And now, as we get closer to November 3rd, things are crazy. And then, of course, as you write in the current issue of The American Prospect, the days during the transition, the lame duck period, it, hopefully it will be, is going to be even more chaotic. And now throwing COVID uh, into the mix with the Trumps. And I have no illusions that we're going to get the truth about his condition from anybody because he's lied about his health um, since his first presidential checkup. Uh, we really are flying blind. I guess all we can do is just move forward 
you know, doing our best to get this man out of office and hopefully get back to some semblance of normalcy in this country. I don't know yeah. that it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's an indicator that the, this virus is going to go on for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that, that there's just no way to seal yourself off from, from this thing uh, in a in 100% airtight fashion. I mean, yeah, we know that the, the, the president is, uh, you know, being, being kind of cavalier about this. But no, there are so many protections and safeguards in terms of access to a president, uh, even in a campaign situation, in terms of him being tested every day, everyone yeah. around him being tested every day. Uh, the fact that it could get through to him shows just the virulence of, of this strain. And uh, the, the other thing I would say, and I don't know if this is hopeful or not, is that if there is anyone in the country who could speak to the conspiracy mongers, the, 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 the people who, who blow this off, who think it's just the flu, whatever, it would be Donald Trump. He's mm-hmm. the only one that can say, look, I got it. This is serious. Wear a mask. Uh, uh, you know, we, we protect yourself. Be careful. Uh, he's the only one that can say that and be listened to. And now that he has it, I mean, yeah, I'm asking the world here to ask uh, some, some reflection from Donald Trump. Good luck. Uh, but, but he's the only one that can actually do that. And, and, and if he does, it, it, would, it would actually make the, the, the country a much safer place right now. Without a doubt. And so one might say it would be better for the people of this nation if Donald Trump suffers a little bit through this, if he doesn't have just a mild case, but gets the full effects of what COVID does to you so he could speak with authority and tell people this is real, this is dangerous, wear a damn mask and stay at home. Right. I mean, I'm not going to wish that on anybody. <laughs> no, but uh, it's a terrible, it's a terrible mm-hmm. disease. Yes, it is. Uh, what we do know is that Boris Johnson's mood really shifted mm-hmm. after he had a near-death experience. He was actually on a ventilator, I wow. believe, in the UK, and he really changed his view on this and, and was pretty pretty poignant uh, uh, in the aftermath. Uh, so, so that's that. There is a possibility there, and we need somebody to get through to the large sections of the country that have have politicized mask wearing, that have dismissed the possibility of deadliness with respect to the virus. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm, I'm hoping that 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 can get across no matter how this potentially affects the president. Absolutely. David Dayen, of course, executive editor of The American Prospect. Find him online at prospect.org. Also, check out his latest book, Monopolized, which is definitely worth the read. And if you're stuck at home, you got some downtime to read it. Um, David Dayen, thank you so much. I always appreciate your input. And I will also suggest that everybody sign up for your newsletter at The American Prospect, uh, because there I saw it this morning, and all it's your headline is, Trump's got it. And we know what the it is. And oh, boy, just another day in 2020. (laughs) Trump's America. Thank you so much, Dave. David Dayan is executive editor of The American Prospect, which you can get online at prospect.org. After a quick timeout, we're going to come back and delve into a story that should have been everywhere 
and it was globally, just didn't get a whole lot of play here in the States. Hmm, I wonder why. We'll find out when we talk to Jason Leopold of BuzzFeed News next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. It's Nicole Sandler filling in today for Brad Friedman, who had no idea that Donald Trump would test positive for COVID when he decided to take a day off. But now that we've covered that as much as we can right now, there's another story that in a normal world would have gotten lots of front page attention. But the noise emanating from the White House seems to push it out of prime time. So Jason Leopold is my guest today. He's a senior investigative reporter for BuzzFeed News, and he's been dubbed the FOIA terrorist by some in our government for his dogged use of the Freedom of Information Act to get documents and information for his reports. This time, the blockbuster did not arise out of a FOIA request. I honestly don't know how he got hold of this trove of Financial Crimes Enforcement Network documents, or FinCEN, And I know not to ask, or someone would probably have to kill me. But seriously, this is the biggest news story that virtually nobody is talking about. Oh my goodness, Jason. If we were living in normal times, you would have been on the front page of every newspaper everywhere for the past week or so because a giant story that you were one of the I, I i'm guessing you're the lead reporter on it because your name was at the top of a long list of bylines um, Many bylines. yes yes um, but but there's jason leopold at the top and it's called the and 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 please i don't I, i've read it but i haven't really heard it talked about much the fincen files is that the how it's pronounced files. The what? Yes. Yes, you've pronounced it correctly. And I will say much to my surprise. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking at like CNN or, or MSNBC or, or, you know, say the Washington Post, yeah. um, you probably won't see anything there. There hasn't been. I will, the New York Times uh, did do on Sunday, I believe it was, a pretty, pretty big kind of follow story. So essentially the story was revolving around the fact that we did this series, and this is just one of nine stories that we've done throughout the week. Right. And, um, in fact, we have a, a number of other stories uh, to um, to roll out in the months ahead. Wow. And, um, yeah, the FinCEN files. FinCEN, it's, it's uh, short for the Financial Crimes 
Enforcement Network. That's an agency within the Department of Treasury uh, that uh, their mandate is to combat uh, money laundering, uh, terrorist financing, and other financial crimes. And uh, banks basically report to them whenever they see an account right. that bears the hallmarks of money laundering. Right. And we learned about these accounts, these, what are they called? The financial, the suspicious activity reports. Suspicious I, activity reports. Right. So I first learned about suspicious activity reports when paperwork started coming in regarding some of Donald Trump's activities sometime over the last four years. That's where I first heard of SARS, SARS. Well, that's what right. this is all based on. Did you through the power of your FOIA super powers, um, get these files? What? So you, you came into this huge trove of files and you went through them all. Yes, this is not FOIA, this is, Oh, it's um, not FOIA. I cannot, I cannot um, unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, I can't talk about ah. sources, methods, or anything like that, okay. but this isn't FOIA. Okay. Um, I have been working on this investigation for two years. And uh, last Sunday we published it and I did, yes, we received a trove of secret government documents and these secret government documents are what's known as suspicious activity reports. So when you mentioned Donald Trump, yes, it was mentioned in the context back when the wall street journal and others had reported that Michael Cohen, um, you know, paid stormy Daniels on behalf of, uh, you know, at the direction of Donald Trump, I believe that's how Michael Cohen Yep. characterized it. Um, and the bank, uh, one of, I think it was first Republic bank had filed a SAR yes. um, with, with treasury kind of alerting them to this odd trans transaction. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, two years ago, received these records, started working on a, or, or deciding like, what's the story that we can work on? Because this was very, very complex. We decided to share these records with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, also known as ICIJ. Right. And ICIJ is best known for uh, their big investigation, the Panama Papers. Ah, And so um, with ICIJ, then they have a uh, a, a very big uh, journalism sort of collective, if you will, that uh, that they shared it with. So it was 110, if I'm not mistaken, newsrooms around the world. Um, this was a project that we led um, that ICIJ, you know, was, was part of that involved more than 400 journalists in 88 wow. countries. Wow. And because the, the, the trove of documents you received was so voluminous, it took a lot of eyes to go through it and see what was there. And you came out with, uh, it's been every day, as you said, the story first broke on Sunday. By Monday, we noticed Monday was a bad day for the stock market, and HSBC Bank had one of the biggest nosedives of all of them, a direct result of what you uncovered, yes? Yes, and, um, you know, that's not something I, I don't want to, like, say, yeah, look. We, we, we caused them that. to crash. You yeah. know, we, we reported the news, right? Yes. And then the market mm-hmm. obviously responded, and... Um, there's, oops, uh, excuse me on that. Their That's stock good. dropped uh, to its lowest point in 25 years. The stock of Deutsche Bank dropped uh, as well. JP Morgan, I believe, and a handful of other banks. So bank, stock, bank stocks 
slid after investors responded to this. And that was kind of a surprise. So that's something you didn't expect. What what I expected when I first got wind of this was, you know, a lot of front page news stories. And I guess in the age of Donald Trump, real right. hard news like this gets pushed off the front pages because of the the insanity coming from the White House and surrounding him. Um, and this is a complicated story. So, you know, today, thankfully, there's a, a story up at BuzzFeed, which is basically eight takeaways. So people like me with a short attention span have an easier time in, in, in getting, you know, the eight things you need to know about the dark side of the world's biggest banks as revealed in the FinCEN files. And I was trying to figure out how to, in, yeah. in an umbrella way, wrap around what the story is about. And you, you do it in this story today at BuzzFeed. It's like in the FinCEN files, BuzzFeed News and its partners revealed how the giants of Western banking move trillions of dollars in suspicious transactions, enriching themselves and their shareholders while facilitating the actions of terrorists, kleptocrats, and drug kingpins. And although it hasn't gotten the front page coverage it deserves, for instance, I just got an email from Matt Taibbi because I subscribed to his Substack newsletter. And basically, he's talking about, um, he said, the revenge of the money launderers is the title. And his subtitle says, the FinCEN file story reveals getting caught doesn't stop banks from taking dirty money. It may even encourage them. Hey, would you mind sending that to me? <laughs> I will. I will forward it to you right now. Um, Thank you. Nicole. But do, do you find that 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 it's it's sort of yeah. in, enabling them to do more? Well, let me let me kind of break this down about what this all means. What we found. So we have this cache of records. Under the law, banks are required to alert the government, the the, the FinCEN, the Treasury Department's uh, uh, agency, there whenever they see signs of, uh, uh, of money laundering. Mm-hmm. Round dollar uh, transactions, for example, would be a sign of like money laundering or a suspicious activity, right? Because people normally deposit, you know, if they're depositing big, big numbers, it's, you know, uh, 1 billion, 200,000 and change. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. and, um, and, and in this case, when I say billion, by the way, that's what we're dealing with here. Wow. So uh, that's, it, that's certainly something that kind of stood out for, for these banks when they were reporting this. So they, they filed these reports. They say, we have an account. And by the way, the people that were, sorry to digress for a moment, but no, the people please. that we're talking about here, we're not talking about you and I, Nicole, no. who <laughs> go to the, you know, we go to our local bank, which most people don't even do anymore. Right. But we're not talking about any kind of transaction that could raise a red flag. But we're talking about here, hundreds of million dollar transactions, tens of million, and in some cases, even over a billion. So the banks have flagged these transactions. They, they, they can't explain what they are, what the purpose is. They file these reports. And then what we found in our two-year investigation is that there really isn't any follow-up, meaning that FinCEN doesn't follow up, law enforcement in some cases doesn't follow up, the banks don't shut down the, ca- the wow. accounts. And the banks that we're talking about, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, who have been in trouble in the past, where they have been prosecuted by the Justice Department, and then they enter into these sweetheart 
deals known as deferred prosecution agreements and promise to clean up their act, they are still banking the same, the same customers. Wow. Now, these transactions, as we write in the story, it, what it exposes is the, the hollowness of the banking safeguards, right? And, and, and the ways in which criminals exploit it. And these profits that the, you know, the banks receive as a result of moving this money, they come from drug wars, money that's embezzled from developing countries. Uh, in one case in Northern California, more than $80 million that was from a Ponzi scheme that HSBC continued to move these transactions. So I think the simplest way to sort of kind of describe this is, as you noted, it's very complex, but mm-hmm. money laundering is a crime that makes other crimes possible. Right. Yes. Um, it accelerates economic inequality. You know, people drain public funds. It undermines democracy, and it leads to the destabilization of nations. Sure. And and right there, the banks play a key role. And so these suspicious activity reports. You know, Michael Cohen is one case. Elliot Spitzer is another case where it, that was a suspicious activity report that was revealed, where we learned really? about his that, his uh, hooker. <laughs> His call yeah, girl. Yes. That, that, that he was hiring. But there has never, this has never been revealed publicly. Be hard pressed to find a SAR that has been out there. And we have 2,100 of them. Oh my. So this really provides the public with insight into a world that they have never, ever, ever seen before. And while our stories do rely heavily on these documents, we then went further. And so we took these suspicious financial transactions and in, what, is it, what a SAR is, if you will, it's that it has the account number, it has the name of the person, it has um, what the suspected activity is right. or the suspicious activity, then it has a narrative. And there's a narrative in there that, you know, the banks try to investigate what it is, what, where the money's coming from, what the purpose is. And they send it off. We took that and we went and interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. We gathered more bank records from sources that we cultivated. We traveled around the world to investigate this. And so we did what the U.S. government, what FinCEN in some cases and other law enforcement agencies have never done. And that's how we are able to actually say confidently you know, what was taking place here. Right. It's amazing. So we're speaking with Jason Leopold, senior investigative reporter for BuzzFeed News, who's been working on this story for two years and enlisted the help of an international consortium of journalists to go through all these documents and get it in order and give us this series of reports. We'll continue with Jason Leopold in a moment. I'm Nicole Sandler in for Brad and Desi today on the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It's Nicole Sandler back into guest host today's edition of the broadcast. While we're all still reeling from the news that Donald Trump has now tested positive for COVID-19, 
we're in a bit of a wait and see mode. We'll have to see what his symptoms are, and that will likely dictate a lot of the news between now and November 3rd. Also have to see who else gets infected. Brad will be back for the next episode and should have much more information by then. For now, let's get back to our conversation with Jason Leopold. He's a senior investigative reporter for BuzzFeed News who, with the help of a few hundred journalists around the world, has produced the FinCEN files. You can just visit FinCEN, F-I-N-C-E-N, FinCENfiles.com. Now, we mentioned HSBC and Deutsche yeah. Bank. Deutsche Bank has long been under fire. I'm amazed they're still standing. But like in, in number six in this eight things to know, um, it says the problems with money laundering aren't just confined to one bank or one country. The FinCEN Files investigation also documented that after they were singled out for misconduct, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of New York Mellon, HSBC, Standard Charter, and Deutsche Bank continued to move money for suspected criminals. This just goes on unabated. Is it because there's nobody overseeing these banks? Is it because there's no financial regulation anymore? Is that why? I mean, it's it's a combination of everything, Nicole. I mean, you know, what happens is, is that, they, as I mentioned, they send these reports into FinCEN, right? FinCEN yeah. has a database um, that houses more than 300 million records that includes cash transaction reports, right? When you, when you make a deposit of, uh, you know, $10,000 or, or more, more <laughs> yeah, the bank sends something over. So yes. they've got this massive, massive database and it just goes in there and it goes in there and it goes in there and they, they just collect it. I really, you know, think that what was, what's interesting is that they just don't have enough people to read everything. So the banks are filing, millions of these reports annually and um they are available to law enforcement agencies so let's say you know um the drug enforcement administration wanted to kind of look at the financing around you know drug cartels or 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 drugs around you know the borders um they could dip into this database and try try to look for patterns you Uh know but um essentially what we found is that there really isn't, a, you know, after this has been filed, at least without the, what we've investigated, nothing happened. So you have a bank like HSBC that paid a record $1.9 billion fine when they got in trouble back in 2012. And what did they get in trouble for? Laundering money for drug cartels and wow. terrorist organizations. And, and and they're still doing it. And they, and we found that in some cases they're still moving these suspicious funds. And, you know, so I guess the market, you know, reacted to that. I would like to kind of give you some, sort of um, uh, a background. I started Please, working yes. on this three and a half years ago uh-huh. and, and after Trump was inaugurated. And basically what I was working on was I was trying to follow the money, right? Congressional committees had launched an investigation or launched multiple investigations, um, some of which were related to, you know, Russia's role in the presidential election, right? That's the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, other committees, uh, like one headed by Chuck Grassley, investigated the funding of the dossier. Mm. Um, and then some other subcommittees had other investigations that, uh, that they were working on. They all wanted to, in one way or another, follow the money. Sure. And what, what that means is, is that they wanted to see what role money played in the interference in 2016 or what role money played in the creation of the dossier. So they reached out 
to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And they gave all these committees collectively, gave them a list of names and entities. And uh, some of those names included Paul Manafort, Eris and Emin Aguilarov. Those are the two people who were at the um, center of the uh, uh, famous Trump Tower meeting. Right, right. In June 2016. Uh, there were a number of oligar- Russian oligarchs on this list. Um, and the list goes on and on. That's it. Finsen, yeah. Go ahead. I'm Finsen sorry. Gathered these records and in some cases never turned it over to Congress or these congressional committees or turned over some. We really don't know. What we have here are the records that Congress asked for. So Congress asked for these records and they were looking for money as it related to Trump's uh, presidential election. Sure. What they missed, or what they maybe never looked at, or maybe they never looked at because they never got it, is what we just laid bare here. All this dirty money floating around that has nothing to do, in some cases, with Donald Trump. So if you recall back in 2017, I started writing about you know suspicious financial transactions related to Paul Manafort because yes. he's in here yep. um, and other people as well. Um, and that was the genesis of this. And so what was really kind of amazing was that, you know, this was for me the first time where I was able to kind of take on an investigation that grew out of my investigation of following the money as it relates to Trump and the people in his inner circle, but it, it became something bigger. So he's, you know, he's definitely part of this, but he's just one cog in this giant wheel that is, is going on. People with a lot of money are wrapped up in this money laundering, massive international money laundering scheme for criminals, for terrorists, for drug traffickers, for the worst of the worst. Right. Yes, that's certainly what we found in our investigation. I noted that you did get a reaction from two members of Congress, two two senators. And of course, it's the ones that I would expect. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have both come out in response to the work you've done and said, big red flags here. We need to do something, right? What yeah. are they saying? Yeah, so Elizabeth Warren, um, she made a statement. She put out a statement on... Monday, I believe, which was, again, we did not expect this. It was uh, somewhat of a surprise. And she called for kind of immediate reform. So she's had this bill, this legislation pending since uh, 2018 that she introduced called the, uh, you know, Ending the Too Big to Jail Act, which essentially would hold banks accountable um, or the executives accountable, um, getting rid of these sort of, uh, um, you know, sweetheart kind of deferred prosecute, what they call deferred prosecution agreements, um, and really hold people accountable. And she called for a new unit within the Treasury Department to kind of go further than what the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network does to investigate this. You know, Bernie Sanders, um, you'll have to forgive me, I don't have his tweet in front of me, but he, you know. I have it. Here he wrote, here's a radical idea. Instead of arresting poor Americans disproportionately African-American and Latino, for possessing marijuana, let's start prosecuting the crooks on Wall Street for laundering money for drug cartels, suspected terrorists, and corrupt foreign officials. Yes. Is that, is that the tweet you were thinking That's of? That's the tweet. 
That was pretty good. Uh, he tweeted that yeah. Monday as so, well. So he he and Elizabeth Warren are calling for investigations and and um, and reforms, and that's that's not a surprise. You know what's really amazing, Nicole, is to see what the response is around the world. Yes. And as I noted, you know there are hundreds of stories that have been published around the world, and in the UK. There's already been calls for investigation, and in I think Thailand, there's you know investigations that are that are, that have been called for. So the reaction outside of the U.S. is pretty is pretty amazing to watch. Right, um, and here it seems swift. right. It's it's like crickets. Right, <laughs> there's my cricket sound effect. And I guess it's because we've got a lot more going on here. I mean, boy, you couldn't have picked a, a more uh, action-packed, filled of news cycle, but I, I'm still astounded that you know when I saw the story Sunday night, I said to David, "Jason did it again. Oh my God, he's uh, got this huge story. It's going to be everywhere." Yeah, and then yeah, no, I didn't expect it, Nicole. I mean, I honestly, um, as you can imagine, you know, you work on something for two years, and you know, if I can just kind of give you a little bit of a backstory, you know, as we were preparing publication. Uh, on Sunday, on Friday, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. <sighs> and that was, you know, it, it's, it was just, it's sad. She was, she was Horrible. obviously ill for a while, um, but it's still very sad. And it's, um, it's a massive loss. Yes, it is. And so here we have this big investigation, you know, and what do you do? Because I need still use, even though we don't live in a news cycle anymore that sort of lasts more than a few hours, mm. I'm still very much used to, in my mind at least, thinking, you know, these news cycles will just go, they can go on and on and on. And so we thought that with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, that it would, that, it, you know, there, there was no place for our investigation, but we, there was nothing we can do. And so, um, so we did publish it and it was really nice to kind of, do something that really didn't, in, in many ways, didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump. But this right. was a, a much bigger, a much bigger issue, and to really kind of take on a global um, investigation. And so, uh, seeing the reaction and seeing the various columns that were written, and, and uh, where pe- other people, experts in the industry, are, are calling for reforms, um, has been amazing. But you know, it's 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 something that interferes with our lives every day. And I only learned that from investigating it over the past two years. Like when you think about money laundering, you don't think about like how it affects you, but it actually does affect you. Um, and, and, it affects, and it affects me and it affects everyone. And so it is, it is hopefully something that, you know, the, the stories that people can kind of wrap their arms around and, and understand why it's important. Right. So, so Jason Leopold, the story broke of this Sunday. There have been uh, installments and articles and more information coming every day since, uh, just building on it. As you said, not only the stories from you guys at BuzzFeed News, but from others around the world. Other than the response from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, have we heard anything from uh, other American lawmakers or law enforcement? Uh, do we know of any uh, police will, investigations that are maybe going to happen out of this? Well, let me tell you what we did here. Um, no, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and that's it. Wow. On, last month, my colleagues and I reached out to uh, FinCEN, the Treasury Department, and we sent them a very lengthy list of questions, and we gave them what's 
we refer to as a no surprise letter, let them know that this is what we intend to report, mm-hmm. that we intend to report these suspicious activity reports uh, show this. Uh, they never responded to us, but on September 1st, they posted a statement on their website, finsend.gov. And that statement says that they had become aware that uh, media outlets uh, would soon be publishing stories based on suspicious activity reports, mm-hmm. uh, the, the disclosure of which is illegal. They posted this statement on their website and said that the disclosure would threaten or could threaten national security, could put people's lives in danger, and that they were referring the matter to the Department of Justice for investigation. Oh, my God. And, their, and as well as their own internal watchdog. So, so, so their problem on. was with your investigation and with however you got these documents, which I'm not going to ask about. That's what their focus is on rather than the crimes that these banks and the people they're laund- and organizations they're laundering the money for. That was their concern. And, you know, wow. I don't know if they were concerned, um, <laughs> you know, that we would just dump out a bunch of records. But, you know, we did include records here. And, you know, these suspicious activity reports, as I mentioned to you, they they are highly sensitive. They're marked law enforcement sensitive. They're mm-hmm. not classified. They're not top secret. Okay. They have a classification known as law enforcement sensitive. And they contain account numbers and lots and lots of personable, identifiable information. And I'm sure before you publish those, you black that stuff out. So That's exactly what we do. Of course you do, because you're a responsible journalist. It was a painstaking effort to redact this. People, sometimes people are just swept up in these reports that really have nothing to do with sure. the suspicious activity. So I don't know if they feared that we we're going to just dump this all out um, or, or, or what, but the... You know, the response was the Justice Department's going to investigate. And and, uh, that is the extent of it. And, you know, the bank lobby, uh, the Bank Policy Institute, put out a statement on Sunday. And, you know, they said that um, that uh, this is everyone's getting all riled up for nothing. This is, you know, they tried to put this investigation together and and to show that this is... uh, suspicious activity but you know there's another explanation perhaps and um and and they just they weren't able to really you know close the uh close it you know close the story and 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 make their you know support their claims but again you know as i mentioned and i i would expect a response like that from the you know from the bank policy institute but this is these documents form the basis of our investigation. We spent two years interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, whistleblowers inside banks, obtaining thousands and thousands of pages of other documents to tell this story. And when we showed it to um, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and, and other journalists, when they were able to, to see it, they all found, you know, they did their own investigations. And that's sure. why you know, you're, you're just able to kind of see what's going on behind the scenes. And the reality is, is that dirty money, um, billions of dollars of, you know, of it. In fact, our calculation from just the documents we have showed $2 trillion, trillion um, in uh, suspicious funds moving throughout the uh, banking system uh, for, you know, over the past, I think, Really, it's over the past, like, a little more than a decade, mm-hmm. although some of these transactions go back to 1999. So it's, um, 
it's, it, you can imagine that if they're receiving millions of other reports, what the number is. It's right. phenomenal. So, so, Jason, let me ask you this. They, they, this FinCEN operation, you've got a picture of it uh, in one of the articles, the, the building, which looks lovely in Washington, D.C., or thereabouts, I'm guessing. I mean, obviously, that this is where all these suspicious activity reports go to, and it's an investigative unit. Do they have a... A, a part of FinCEN that is supposed to go after the crooks, prosecute the bad guys, or is it just they gather the information and let it sit there? You know, in some instances, well, let me tell you kind of uh, um, how they did, how it worked with Paul Manafort. Okay. Paul Manafort was under investigation by the FBI back in, I think it was like 2013. And the FBI worked with FinCEN to get these SARS on Paul Manafort. And so, because Paul Manafort was receiving money from uh, Viktor Yanukovych, who was more or less looting Ukraine of right. all, their, of all right. their funds. So they investigate him. They have all the suspicious activity reports. And it goes into a folder, I guess, or a case file. And nothing happens at all until he becomes... Donald Trump's campaign manager. Wow. And after he became his campaign manager, they dusted that off and they handed it to the special counsel. And we can see in our files, and I, my colleague and I reported this back in October 2017, they indicted him for some of the transactions in here. So, you know, wow. does that happen with each and every case? I mean, I, I certainly couldn't say. Yeah, but we right. could say then the case of Paul Manafort, where we're talking tens and tens of millions of dollars of uh, you know money laundering, bank fraud, etc. They had everything, and they were investigating, but they didn't do anything. And then when he becomes Donald Trump's campaign manager, suddenly you know there's an interest there. And again, not to say that he shouldn't be investigated afterwards, but the point is, is that what we've heard from some of our sources, some of our federal law enforcement sources, is that they just don't have the resources. They don't right. have the manpower, the woman power to to take this on. And so it just kind of goes, uh, it goes into a file. And then here's my other concern, which I've, I've been hesitant to ask about because I don't want to give anyone ideas, but I'm sure they already have the ideas. Are you concerned looking at the state of our Department of Justice today and who's running it and who's populating it? Are you afraid they're going to go after you? Because I uh, am. <laughs> uh, I will. I, I, I mean, I'm not afraid, you know, that they would come after me. I mean, they've been sort of, I've been a thoron in their side for years just through, through <laughs> FOIA. FOIA terrorist. Uh, certainly, yeah. that's, certainly that statement that they put out on September 1st was probably, you know, concerning because it said, well, what, what are, you know, who are they referring to? I have yeah. no idea. Right. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm not concerned. Okay. I mean, it's certainly, I, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing and, and that's it. And obviously, um, you, your employers at BuzzFeed News have your back. You're you're doing this amazing work on their behalf. I, I'm guessing they have good legal representation. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, this look. This is a yeah. I mean, another another area, unfortunately, that I can't really like right. talk I know. about lawyers I know. and stuff like that. But you, you feel know, this okay. Is, yeah, this is a story. These are stories. This is a story. You know, our, our, our big story on Sunday. You know, we also have the Deutsche Bank story. I'm, you know, I feel really 
really proud of like As what should. we did here because yes. I will tell you that I'm not, I mean, I've been covering national security for, you know, for a couple of decades yes. and suddenly I find myself, you know, in this world that don't have that, I mean, I have some experience in, but this really was a team effort. So when you said at the beginning of the show, like, look at all these bylines, I mean, everyone um, pretty much on that list, we all work together to kind of figure this out. There's a great story if I, if, if you know, if listeners are interested, it's a data story that we have okay. that, that came out on Sunday as well. And, you know, if it, just to make it easier, finsendfiles.com is where we have all the stories. So this data story kind of sh- is, a, is an explainer of how we did it how we oh. did everything, how we were able to sort of map out these transactions and figure out, you know, what, what, this, um, what this picture looked like. I mean, I, I, I'm not a data guy. So we, ha- we had a couple of uh, two or three data guys who, are, who were working on this, as well as reporting. So when I read this story, I was like, holy <laughs> we did this? <laughs> right. This is what we did? Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, that's when it kind of like really resonated for me, like, Holy wow, this is big. This is, right. I can't believe what, what we have here and what we did uh, and what they did in, in order to kind of, you know, pull it all together. Well, congratulations to all of you. Your work is truly appreciated. I, you know, I've been a fan of yours, you know, for... We've been friends for the long time, Nicole. For at least a decade, and and I'm always in awe, and I'm just so proud of you. And every time you break another big story, it's like... Go, Jason. Uh, yes, it's, you're making me proud because we need more wow. like you. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're doing this work because Thank it is, you. in many cases, tedious. I mean, I see that pile of papers behind you again. That's all. Is oh, that yeah. all FOIA stuff that you're going that, through? That's all the, um, that's the, re- re- I don't know if I told you last time, but that's the responses to all the, um, to all the FOIA requests that I bought. Wow. Wow. And I saw today, even today, you're tweeting out about other um, FOIA responses that you've gotten, other unrelated stories that are big deals, the things that you're working on. So I'm, I'm in constant awe of you, my friend. Thank you, Nicole. Well, I've, I've always, always been grateful and appreciative of your support. And um, sometimes that's hard to find out there. So thank you. Well, you got it. And uh, and I adore you. And I just hate that we're a continent apart. And, you know, we're COVID infected. And so we can't go anywhere. But one day, um, we'll, one day we still have to just have a, a whole kind of session where we just talk about music. Yes, I'm so ready anytime. Yeah. And you can pull out your T-shirt collection, which is pro- yeah. will probably fill your room. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jason Leopold, congratulations. You deserve so much credit for this. I hope BuzzFeed News appreciates you. I believe they do. There's a lot of reading there. So FinCENFiles.com is where you have all the documents and everything. Central stories and everything. Everything right there. Jason Leopold, you are a, a dear friend. I'm so proud of you. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. And we've made it to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. Barely, but we're still holding on. Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen will be back for the next episode. I'm Nicole Sandler. To them and to us, I say, good luck, world. <laughs>